Before we start the show, just a word from our sponsor, Undeniable Press. For all your screen printing needs, located in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. If you ever need any t-shirts or any other little promo accessories, posters, or whatnot printed up for you, go to Undeniable Press. They're located, once again, in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. And you can uh, reach them at facebook.com slash undeniablepressdetroit. And those same guys who do Undeniable Press also have a clothing line called 20 by 20 Apparel. It's very much wrestling themed. All sorts of nostalgic themes in regards to the history of wrestling. And you can go check out their clothing line at 20x20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20, apparel.com. Now let's start the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. This is episode 82, and we have a great guest for you. This week's guest is the Los Angeles-based soul music artist, musician, and producer, Cy Smith. I first met Cy many years ago when I was opening one of the foreign exchange shows that I was talking about with Nicolay on a previous episode. Uh, She was on tour as one of the singers with the, the touring foreign exchange band. Uh, as an artist who has been on the independent grind for a while now, we chat about what it takes to be an independent musician when the music industry changes so much. And she gives some great advice on how to swim through those sometimes turbulent waters. And then we also talk about when, what went into the, the, the writing and recording process for her newest album, Sometimes a Rose Will Grow in Concrete. It was a great chat with Cy Smith, so let's get on to that interview. I think me and you have met before. Uh, what year did you go on, um, you were on tour with Foreign Exchange? Um, I started in 2010 with them. Okay. May of 2010 and kind of ran around with them for probably two or three years. Okay, so I think probably like the 2011 show probably in Detroit. Yep. Because um, oh, I was the okay. opening DJ for that. Okay. Was yeah. that, wait, in Detroit at Shane Park? No, um, at the Magic Stick. Oh, I don't remember then. I don't remember the place. Okay. But, um, but that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I wasn't there. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, we, yeah, you might have been at that show. Uh, I, I think the 2011 one or maybe even the 2013 one. I'm not sure. But yeah, like, mm-hmm. like they're 
past three big shows that they put on here in Detroit, like I was like the opening DJ. Oh, that's dope. Super dope. Yeah. So I'm all, yeah. So I always have, and, and I even know Nicolay back in the day when I was doing my, uh, doing a website back in the day called uh, Renaissance Soul. So he's an old friend of mine. Okay. But, Very um, cool. Yeah. It's good to, uh, to, to catch up with you. The, your new album, uh, Sometimes a Rose Will Grow in Concrete, is such, like, it's such a good album. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. What's cool about this album is that I feel like there's, a, it's, there's all these great, you know, just soulful melodies, but there's, a, there's this range where it's like, there's serious topics, but then there's some humor in it. It goes, you know, across the board, you know. What was sort of your idea going into making this album about, you know, where you wanted to go with it? Um, you know what, Kelly? Like, I don't know that I had an idea, you know, thematically. Um, I usually just take albums song by song. And so it wasn't until, you know, like I was, I'm always writing songs and recording. I'm always writing and recording, writing and recording. Right. So maybe around, maybe back in 2015, I was writing and recording and just kind of experimenting with some different sort of sounds and sort of experimenting with producing myself, you know, just to see what, it, what that would feel like. And maybe about three or four songs in, I wrote Sometimes the Rose Will Grow in Concrete, the title track, and demoed that. And it was around, it was during that time, it was like when I wrote that demo, I mean, when I wrote that song and demoed it, that was kind of when I said, oh my gosh, I think this is going to be sort of the the driving force behind the album. Now, I don't know if that meant, you know, the theme of the album, but I just knew that that song felt like, an, you know, like the beginning of an album to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the rest of the the rest of the songs that they sort of came into being, um, I think I just didn't really edit myself as far as topics went or or themes. You know, I I just kind of let songs happen, and then at the end figured out if they belonged on the project or not. You know what I mean? When you and kind of uh, pop- yeah. Mm-hmm. When you kind of uh, fall into that song that you write and record that becomes that lo- sort of centerpiece for the project, you know, mm-hmm, what's a, mm-hmm. what sort of feeling comes over you uh, at that time? Is there something that like kind of clicks when that uh, when you get done with that uh, track that you're being like, yo, this is the one? You know, you just get for me, I just kind of got a tingling, you know, it's just a, a little tingling in my brain like that just said. Yeah, there's something really special about this. Even in, even when it was unfinished, because at the time, I hadn't finished it. You know, it was just a demo. It was just me playing the piano to a click and singing it. So all of the things that you hear weren't even there. But but even in its space, even in its um, demo stage, it still felt really special to me, you know. Um, and I don't know what that is, you know, uh, I think every person has their own sort of, you know, definition of what special means to them or their own sort of, you know, feeling that they get, you know, some people might get a tingling sensation, some people might get a headache. (laughs) 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 But I just knew, I just knew even in its demo stage that it's, that it felt really special, you know what I mean? And, um, 
and even today, like even when I listen to it still, that song still feels really, really, really special to me, you know? Was there anything on this album that you, you know, did differently than your previous projects? Man, I did everything differently. Um, <laughs> because because this was the first time that that I produced a, a whole record by myself, you know. Um, so this was the first time that you really hear me playing a lot, you know. Usually I don't play a lot, and honestly, because I know so many fantastic musicians that it feels weird to, <laughs> for me to for me to play when I could just call up James Poison or somebody. You know what I mean? Right. So, but this was for the first time. I really wanted to. I really wanted to be able to sit at the piano and play and play my whole album if I wanted to. You know what I mean? So I felt like this album needs to be written by me sitting at the piano, you know, just writing songs. And so that's what I did. And I, and I have never done that with my previous projects. Was there, did you have any sort of fears going into uh, doing it that way? Hell yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Yeah. Because, um, because I had never really done that role by myself. I, I kind of, I kind of thought I could do it. I kind of knew I could do it, but nothing tells you you can do something until you actually do it. And then even after you do it, you know, you still have to put it out there and, and you're vulnerable to criticism. And so I was, you know, I was quite frankly, you know, a sort of hesitant, like, I was like, Oh God, what are people going to say? You know what I mean? Like people might be like, why didn't you just call up some, you know, but, um, but at the end of the day, I think my job as an artist is to push through reluctancy and to push through hesitation and just get things done, you know? Yeah. When you're kind of going this route, is there any sort of, like, sort of inner, you know, trials and tribulations and inner sort of reluctancy that you have to be able to uh, conquer and how were you able to do so? Well, that was it. Just, it was really just my own sort of brain, you know, um, my own mind sort of um, giving me hesitation. But but the musicians that I work with and uh, my engineer, uh, especially my engineer, um, they all made for an environment for me to like create without um, without fear, you know. And I think it's really important, especially for me, but probably for most creative people, to to surround themselves with people who um, who are who are positive. You know what I mean? Like that's just it's a really simple concept, but you'd be surprised how many people keep negativity around them and don't realize, like, dude you need to like get that person out of your life because you're never going to get anything done, <laughs> you know? Um, so my, my relationship with my engineer makes for an environment, you know, where I can basically try all kinds of stuff and, and he won't look at me like I have three heads, <laughs> you know? 
when you're sort of in that role where where you're writing everything for the album and you're basically the boss of the project you're uh and you're surrounding yourself with all of these uh great musicians to be able to you know bring out your your vision of this project you know how do you how do you stay on top of things and not sort of succumb to you know maybe the just even some some of the outer ideas that maybe other people have or even they think that you might think they uh, they might have for this project how do you stay on top of everything well you know um when I when I had when I had musicians come in to play something, for instance, like I would have a guitar player named Jarris Mosey come in. Um, Jarris, like he knows, like you know, I when I call a musician in, it's because I like what they do, right? So I already want whoever that person is. I already want their signature in the piece. So I gotta give them the freedom to to be themselves within a framework that I've created, you know. Yeah. So um, part of being a producer is sort of knowing who to call for what song, and then trusting that person's ability to to color in a frame that you've created. You know, um, I don't I don't like to micromanage notes. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'll basically give a framework or, you know, play a bass line on the keyboard and say, this is how the bass line goes, and then let them interpret it. And then if, if they stray too far, I'll, I'll just rein them in a little bit. You know, it's, it's, not, that, it's not that difficult, I don't think. Um, and, the, and like I said, the guys who I call, um, like they know me and, you know, I think they respect my musicianship enough to – to do the things that I'm asking. And they, and they all seem to have a lot of fun with it, you know? That's another thing. Like, when you look at the musicians you're working with and and you can see that they're having fun, then you know you're doing some good work. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, like, I might have a guitar player come in and lay down three or four passes and... And then, you know, send them home and then I'll pick and choose and, and, and do all kinds of stuff with what they've done. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's really just about calling in cats that I know and cats that I know respect me, you know? When you were starting this project, you know, what, what was probably the first thing that you did in writing uh, this album? Do you, do you remember that, like, the first step um, going into making this album? Yeah, like I said, uh, the title track was definitely the first song where I said, oh, my God, this is going to be the album. But it took me, you know, this album took me like two and a half years to record. So um, I think maybe the second song I wrote was probably Perspective. And the third song might have been Now and Later. And, um, and you know, it was like I would write a song go in the studio, demo it, and then I would leave to go on the road. And I would, you know, and so so a lot of these songs were like marinating over months before I would come back and finish them. You know what I mean? Um, which which was another different thing for me. Usually when, I'm, when I record, I just do the whole song and finish it up and mix it all at the same day. You know what I mean? But for this 
album, I, I was really marinating on ideas for a, for a long time, and not because I wanted to, but because I had to. Um, but I think it made for a really, um, let me see. I think it made this project feel a little more mature than any of my other projects because of that, because the songs literally had to sit and ferment, <laughs> you know? With, uh, you know, kind of going this route where you're just sort of forced to marinate on the material, mm-hmm. did, did that help with any of the fears that you originally had with going in all in by yourself with this album? Um, I don't know if it helped with any of the fears, but it definitely um, made me, it definitely made my patience get better because I was not a really patient person before this. And, <laughs> and this process tested my patience um, for the better, like, because, because now, <laughs> because it forced me to take my time. You know what I mean? Um, because I didn't have like a month where I could just go in the studio and sit and record and do nothing else, you know? Um, so it, I don't know if it alleviated the fears, but it definitely sort of made me sit down and just relax <laughs> because like right sigh there's nothing you can do while you're in japan you just gotta wait until you get back to la to to fix that or you know you gotta wait till you get back to la to, to put the guitar there or you gotta wait till you get back to la to record the violin or whatever you know um so it just it, i think it just made me a better person though because uh, you know now i have the patience of a freaking guru <laughs> What feeling kind of came over you when you realized, hey, this project is done. This is a finished product. Mm. That, that's, that's generally, um, it's a very sort of euphoric feeling because, you, you know, because after you record all the songs and you mix all the songs and then you sequence everything and, you know, and then you listen back to a couple of different sequences, when you hit that sequence, that is going to be the final product. Um, I mean, it's like, it's just a really beautiful feeling. I, I was just really proud of my effort and, and proud of the songs and, you know, the whole album told a story that I hadn't told of myself before, you know? And I was like, wow, this is going to be, I hope, I hope this is going to be something that people um, get and I hope this is going to be something that people understand um, is thoroughly and authentically me. You know, it's a really proud moment. What were some of like the initial reactions that you've gotten from other people, whether it was fans or other musicians, um, in regards to the final product? What were some of the reactions? Yeah. Um. You know, a, a lot of people just really, I, gosh, I don't even know what to say. Like, a lot of people really, really liked it, and, and it made me really happy. Like, Nicolay, whom you just spoke to, he wrote this really beautiful um, sort of, review is not the right word, but sort of over, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? He just wrote this really beautiful story about, um, how he met me and 
and then went on to talk about the album and was saying what a great piece of work it was and um and other musicians and other artists, you know, Zoe, you know, giving me props and me and Zoe are like we're like brother and sister, you know, yeah. um when it comes to music and we're always like calling each other up like yo, I just learned how to do this, or, you know, I just learned how to play this on blah, 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 you know. Um, so he was giving me props for just sitting down and playing, you know, and he was like, I see you fast, this, you know. <laughs> um, and that feels really good. Uh, um, a couple of my my friends, you know, they'll they'll text me in pieces, like, girl, I'm just, I'm just sitting here with Camelot, you know, <laughs> and I can't stop playing it, or whatever. And that's that feels really good. Um, that's really exciting. When you have sort of like, you know, relationships that you, um, you just described um, with either, you know, f- you know, friends of yours or other um, artists, how, um, how important is it to have that sort of sense of community with, uh, you know, fellow musicians in regards to the growth yeah. of your, of your career? Well, you know, I, I don't know if this is, I'm sure it's not like this for everybody, but for me, um, the artist community means a lot to me. And um, the other, my fellow artists whom I love and respect and adore, of course, when they um, give me props or whatever, that feels great. You know, Um, I would be lying if I said it didn't matter. You know what I mean? But there are some people who probably, you know, they probably give give no fucks all, like (laughs) whatever. but no, it feels great and it means a lot because um because they know you know, my fellow artists know more about what it means to make something like this than most people. You know what I mean? I think most people can imagine what it is, but um but my fellow artists know the sort of blood, sweat and tears that that we put into our projects, you know. So when they when they give me a, a kind word here and there or a big big kind word, um, in a public forum even, that, that means a lot, you know, it means a whole lot. And, um, and especially as a, as a girl, you know, to have written and produced her own project in entirety, um, it means a lot to get, um, good words from the guys, you know what I mean? Because, you know, frankly, there's just not a lot of us doing that. There's not a lot of girls writing and recording and producing, I mean, their entire projects themselves. And it's not because we can't, but it's just because, frankly, we're not really encouraged to, you know. And um, so so I'm I'm happy that I made that choice and even happier that my fellow artists dig it, you know. That's a a great topic that you just brought up in regards to uh, women in music. You know, what do you hope... uh, you know, just as you as a, you know, a self-producing uh, musician, you know, hope will happen in regards to, you know, music, whether it's on the mainstream or the independent levels, in, in regards to, you know, women making their own music and feeling comfortable in doing so. Yeah, I mean, I just hope that, you know, if I can be a small amount of encouragement to, to my fellow girls out there, like, um, a lot of times we're not encouraged to to sort of take the reins of our creativity. And I don't know that I'm not saying it's a big conspiracy or anything. It's just it's just the way the world works. And um 
But I'm, you know, I'm just here to sort of say, well, you know, there's an alternative to that. You kind of can take your own reins if you, if you know exactly what, what it is that you want to try. Even if you don't know, like the point is to experiment and, and to figure it out. You know, it's art. It's not perfection. So, you know, I would hope that more girls kind of check my project out and see that, like, hey, you don't need a thousand co-writers for real. <laughs> Just read some books and 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 learn learn how to love words and learn how to you know languish in rhythms and and learn how to you know let your soul sort of dip and ebb and flow in a way that um, that reflects light and love and whatever you want to talk about you know that's I just hope that I can be that kind of you know encouragement. To other girls, sure. How and currently, you know, it looks like you're, you know, you're part of this sort of independent soul music route. Um, how, have you always been more of an independent artist? Have you, have you, you know, swam the waters of, you know, signing with labels and whatnot in the past? Yeah, I mean, I was signed to a label, Kelly, way back in the day, like '99. I was signed to Hollywood Records, and and I did an album with them. And then they released one single, and then they didn't release the album. And then they, like, flipped the entire staff, and they were like, well, let's revisit the Cy Smith Project. And then I sort of revamped the album from, you know, like a year, two years ago, and redid it. I don't know. (laughs) And it was just just such a monstrosity. Like, the way they kill creativity – in these, in some of these machines, especially when it comes to black music, is just unfortunate and um, disheartening. And I, I was released from that situation. I was completely jaded because you know, I had written some really great songs and recorded some really great stuff with some really wonderful people, and um, and I was looking forward to putting that putting that out there. And so it took me maybe a year or two to sort of find my grounding and maybe around 2001 it was um i gathered up like five songs and just manufactured a thousand cds you know it was just a five song ep called one like me and i didn't have any plans for it and there was no independent soul music scene back then um i just put that out and I, i was selling a lot of them like a lot of them and um and I was doing shows, little shows in L.A., and I was like, wow, there's actually a scene for this. Yeah. Maybe I should, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should really take a hard look at maybe doing a whole album. And it, and it wasn't until 2005 that I recorded and released um, Cyberspace Social. And um, again, this was like towards the beginning of this sort of, independent soul music movement, there weren't that many of us um, in L.A. I could probably name name us on one hand. You know, it was like Tim Hill, me, (laughs) you know, Medusa. Like, there weren't a lot of us. Um, Soul of John Black. There was just just a a handful of us. But, um, But there were a lot of people who wanted to hear it. And, you know, and the music wasn't 
localized to LA, you know, I, I was able to do shows in different cities and I was like, wow, this is, this is a scene, you know? Um, and, and, and that was when I really sort of said, I can do this myself. Like, why, why am I even trying to be on a label? Fuck labels. Like I can totally do this. <laughs> when you're, you know, making that transition from this, you know, terrible experience being signed to a label into, you know, finding some footing on an independent level, you know, what did you do to sort of make that transition and what did you attribute sort of like those early, that those early little success of selling the CDs to? Mm. Um, the transition for me wasn't something I had a choice in, you know, I was, I was like thrown in the pool, like <laughs> <laughs> you're not on our label anymore. Goodbye. You know? <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> but and I had never really had the comforts of the machine working in my favor anyway. So I had never gotten used to any sort of luxury or, or any sort of support system that frankly, that label didn't want, didn't want anything to do with black music in the first place. I don't even know why they had a department, you know, that, that was supposed to cater towards urban development because that wasn't something they wanted to do. Um, so, and I think the successes, the small successes were attributed to just sort of me being um, resourceful and and saying, you know, let me, if I can't get into a club, like if a club won't book me to play somewhere, because I, you know, I had a hard time getting booked at clubs in LA because it was, because what I was doing wasn't really, you know, it wasn't on the radio or anything like that. Yeah. And, and it's hard for for R&B acts or, or whatever you want to call it, soul acts, to get booked anywhere. Like, you know, if you're an indie band, you can just walk into a, a place and get booked like it ain't nothing. But if you are an R&B or a soul act, you got to show previous numbers. You got to have a draw. You got to, you know what I mean? Um, so in those cases where I couldn't get booked or whatever, I would just go to... I went to a small coffee shop called Lucy Florence and um, Ron and Richard let me put on a little monthly thing there. And it was just sort of me just being dogged and, and not giving up. Like, you know, so if, if they won't let me in, then I'll build my own place was basically my thinking, right. you know? And, um, and then I'll make room for other people to come into my space, you know? So, so my monthly venue at this little coffee shop became a, a showcase that I put on every month where I presented other artists, not just myself, you know, um, and not only singers um, or musicians. I had dancers come do choreography pieces. I had poets, I had comedians, you know what I mean? It was just a space because I, because I, I guess I saw the need um, for other girls like me who just wanted to be, wanted to be seen somewhere, you know? Um, and then other artists, um, I think we look out for me, for each other more than people think, you know. So like Frank McComb put me on the road with him um, where he had me sort of opening for him, uh, you know, like in Japan at the Blue Note scene down there. And yep. um, yeah, like Dino Young, like anywhere there were artists whom I knew, we kind of looked out for each other. You know what I mean? So if, if Gino had something going on in Dallas, he I would go down there and do stuff. If 
I had something going on in L.A., I, I tell him to come out, let's do something together. I go to D.C., work out with Wes Felton and, you know, and those guys. Um, there was there was just there was just this sort of unwritten network of us, sort of underground railroad of <laughs> of indie soul artists <laughs> that helped each other get to freedom. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way of putting it, yeah. When, yeah. When um you know as being with being a, an independent artist for so long, you know to anybody who is whatever their craft is, whether they're a singer, a poet an artist of any kind, you know, what sort of like actionable items that's been a part of your career do you feel like anybody that's listening to this right now can apply to their own lives? Oh my goodness. Let me see. What, give me an example of what you mean by this. Just like sort of like what your, um, just sort of like lessons, things that you, uh, things that you've been, that you regularly do in your career that have been helpful with progressing it and things that you don't need to necessarily, it's not necessarily tied to one sort of genre of art that people can Mm -hmm. apply to their own lives. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, one for one thing, it's not cute to be late. (laughs) It never has been. So I try not to ever be late. I tr- you know, and, and for for that, really, being on time means being early, you know? I think everybody can apply that, no right. matter what it is that they're in. If they are looking to excel and get ahead, rule number one, be early, you know? If you're not early, you're probably late. So be early for everything. Um, it It sounds like common sense, Kelly, but... Like, damn it, look like a star all the time. Like, look look beyond presentable. Look like a bona fide star everywhere you go. Um, and, I mean, like, I don't mean you have to wear six-inch heels and, and rocking leather jeans or whatever every day. But, you know, um, I, you would just be surprised at how many people come out of the house looking like they just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and if you want to be taken seriously, I think you should look the part um, in everything that you do. I think that can be applied in every every situation. Um, ambition is not a dirty word. I think that is too something that that we should um, that people can apply as long as you you can be ambitious without stepping on people, you know. You can be ambitious and still reach back and pull other people up. Um, like I don't, I don't, I don't think that um, people realize that. Like especially women, that um, ambition is not a dirty word. Um, and then always be a student. Always learn. Say, say as little as you can while taking in the information. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a room with other singers and like a music director is trying to teach a part and while he or she is teaching the part, they're singing it. But I'm like, how can you learn it if you're opening your mouth and making noise? Like, <laughs> right. you have to be quiet and actually take in the part, you know? And this and this, is, this goes for musicians too. Like, you can't be playing on top of 
somebody trying to teach you the part. Like, just be quiet for a second and listen and take it in before you spit it back out, you know? And I think that not only applies to music. I mean, that's that's been something I've been doing my whole life, you know? Um, but, yeah, if those little life lessons can help, I hope they do. Yeah, I think a lot of what you just said, you know, there's this um... – idea that I, um, I heard about on another podcast where it's basically like your first impression starts before you even enter the room. And that's yep. something that someone that everybody should think about. Yep. Absolutely. It happens before you even leave. It happens before you even enter the building. It happens when you walk out of your door. You know what I mean? It really does. And it, and it, you know, how you carry yourself and, and how you um, treat other people, it reflects right back on you, you know, like an instant reflection, you know. As, as an artist who is independent and a black woman, is there anything about, you know, women and even women of color in the music industry mm -hmm. that people, you know, kind of think is a myth? And is there anything you would say to any young girls coming up that would sort of, you know, demyth all these ideas that are kind of put out there? Um, I think it's a myth that women don't work together well. Um, and that, you know, women are sort of catty and always scrapping for little chunks of crumbs. But that's not true at all. Most of the women and especially the women of color, but just all of us, all the women I know in music are like some of the most dopest, dynamic, and and sharingest people I have ever met. You know what I mean? Like, um, and and I think we look out for each other way, way, way more than than people give us credit for. Um, I wouldn't even be in this game had it not been for another sister who, you know, many, many years ago, uh, pulled me into basically her audition for Whitney Houston and said, you should check her out too. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even be here if it, not, if it hadn't been for her, you know? Um, women are definitely uh, generous and, and sharing and caring, and the industry is not that sort of cutthroat thing that people tell you, at least not peer-to-peer. <laughs> that cutthroat thing happens, but I think it's more on a, an executive to artist level than anything else in an executive to executive level. But, but in artist spaces, we tend to look out for each other. Yeah. How important is it to have your male co uh, counterparts in the music industry be supportive of the women? It's, it's very important. I mean, you know, if, uh, if we're out here fighting for equality and only half of us are fighting for it, <laughs> you know, we'll never get it, you know? Um, and, and that goes across the board for any, any sort of modula, marginalized group. You know, it, it takes everybody to fight for, for equality for it to happen. Um, and, and again, like I've had some really fantastic men who pulled me along at a very young age and said, hey, let me show you how to do this or let me show you how to do that. Um, and and I wouldn't be here without them. Like um, 
I really got my start learning how to sort of craft songs and stuff with um, a producer named Sauce from Something for the People. Do you remember that group? Yes, I, re- I do. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first moved to L.A., somebody hooked me up with Sauce, and, um, and he really showed me the ropes. And it was no, no funny business. Like, you know what I mean? It was none of that the things that you hear about producers and messing with girls and like he did, he was just being an awesome, awesome brother and just took me in and showed me how to do stuff. And, and I would, I would never have gotten, you know, learned as much as I did in such a small amount of time without him. And, um, so yeah, it's really important that guys, um, guys fight the good fight and support us, you know, just as much as girls do, you know? When you, you know, think about, when you think back, you know, from the beginning of your career, you know, how do you feel like you've uh, both progressed as a music artist and as a, as a person? Ooh. Well, you know, a lot of times, like a lot of my experiences that I've had, um, I didn't even, I was so young, you know, that like, I was oblivious to a lot of things as they were happening in real time. And it didn't occur to me until, you know, sometimes, sometimes years later, what had just happened. Do you know what I mean? So I think as I, as I have really started to mature, I'm really starting to appreciate things in real time. And I'm really starting to be super present, you know, as opposed to how I was at 23 when I was just sort of like, La 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 la, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm not saying Whitney Houston, but you know, there there was a bus. Look at that, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> you know, my attention span, um, relative to what's going on in the here and now, has really um, has really grown for the better, you know. And I'm and I'm really starting to appreciate things in real time. Um, and I think that too shows itself in the music. Um, I think that the things that I I strive to achieve musically are way different now than they were at 23 when I was just trying to sing, you know, really crisp and deliberate riffs or, you know what I mean, or really punch this line, you know, whereas now I'm, I'm more trying to um, let an entire arc build do you know what I mean? Um, arc ARC and Arc ARK. Like, <laughs> I want <laughs> I want a story to be told, and I want to bring people on board with me as as the journey goes. You know, um, that's definitely something that comes with maturity. Um, and you know, as you as you grow and you start to see the bigger, bigger, bigger picture, then you you know then you, your strokes become a little more broad. Do you know what I mean? And you're not just painting, you know, you're not just coloring in one page in a coloring book. You're coloring an entire globe, you know? You know, with, you know, building this art currently, you know, Uh what do you feel like the the future has in store for you with your art and your career? You know, um, the future is always surprising me. And so I have no idea what the future has in store. I know that 
I know that I just want to build, you know, I don't necessarily, and I never have necessarily, wanted to see myself like as this huge, big superstar. What I've always wanted, though, was to leave a legacy of <clears throat> of art that, you know, 50 years from now, maybe even 100 years from now, you know, I can be like, even a tiny tidbit of like musical history where somebody goes, man, but there was this, there was this chick size Smith back in the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> like <laughs> um, the way we sort of um, dig into the great jazz players and the great jazz singers, but then some of us dig into the bands and go, but there was this one guy, you know what I mean? That played the clarinet. And that guy, you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so I, I hope that, I hope that I can even make an impact like that, where my legacy might not necessarily be um, one of megastardom, but, but one of, of uh, just a micro sort of capsule that that somebody says she played a part in the building of blank, whatever that next phase is, you know what I mean? Um, in the, in the sort of musicology sense of, of what the next role in soul music will be. Right. Yeah. It's been great talking with you. And I always like to, uh, to end my uh, interviews on the podcast with the same question. And I did send it out to you uh, early on to think about it. And that question is, who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview that would have some great stories? Who? Um, Zoe, have you, have you interviewed him? No, I haven't. I've, he's been, uh, he's kind of on my list of people that I haven't interviewed for my podcast that I'll definitely want to interview. He would have some great stories, and, and he has played figuratively um, prominently in, in the last few years of, of what, I've, what I've been doing. Um, and, and, yeah, that's my brother. He's, he's a great dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've known him since he was first started. I, I probably have his first release somewhere. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also Gino Young. I don't know if you're um, hip to him, but... He and I went to Howard together. Okay. Like we were at Howard with it was me, Gino, Eric Roberson. Like we, we were all there at the same time. Um, I think Taraji Henson was there at the same. You know, like it was a it was a big artistic group of people, and I wasn't even in the School of Fine Arts. But but then Gino went on to do like solo albums, and then he was there music director for Erica Badu during the whole Mama's Gun era. Um, he would have some really great stories. All right, great. Yeah, those are both some great suggestions. Um, yeah, it was good talking with you. I'm glad we were able to connect. Uh, who, um, If anybody wants to check out your music, get more information about you online, where can they go? The easiest place to go would be SciSmith.com. And everything is, like, right there my my music and then my online store and you know everything they anything they want is right there awesome awesome yeah thanks again for uh, taking time out to uh, chat with me oh man it was no problem it was a pleasure actually
I agree. And that was my interview with Cy Smith. Go and pick up that new album, Sometimes a Rose Will Grow in Concrete, today. It's really awesome. Now on to the fresh of the word, fresh pick of the week. And this episode's pick is the newest album, Death Don't Always Taste Good, from the London-based production outfit, Ivy Lab. Ivy Lab has shot to the forefront of experimental bass music, holding no boundaries with any of their productions. The aspects of their music that shine the most is the way that they're able to take ideas from various genres, whether it be hip-hop, drum and bass, soul, or bass music, and just take the best and also underlying similarities in all of those styles and mold them together into something really heavy. They find a way of, to breathe new life even into samples that you may have heard before. So go ahead and check out that new album, Death Don't Always Taste Good. And like always, all the links to everything we talked about in this podcast will be in the show notes for this episode. You can always go to the Fresh of the Word website at freshofthepodcast.com and share any links that you might see on the website on any of your social media. You can uh, subscribe to Fresh of the Word at Apple Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. Just search Fresh of the Word and it'll come up. And please, 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 please leave a rating and a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. And if I do see you leave something, I'll definitely read it on a future episode. You can uh, also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly Omega Fresh and at Facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh. And then you can also follow Fresh is the Word on social media on Twitter at FITW Podcast, on Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast, at Facebook at facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast, and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Fresh is the Word Podcast. Like always, thank you for listening. Enjoy yourselves. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.